right, hey guys, and welcome to the Three Drinks In podcast episode number 223. I'm your host, Vince. Over there is your host, Phil. Hey. And in this episode, we are talking, finally, about the latest installment of the James Bond franchise, No Time to Die, the final chapter featuring Daniel Craig as the titular character, James Bond. Although I guess he isn't titular because his name is in, isn't in, in the title. His name's not in the title. <laughs> anyway, uh, before we get started, though, I want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, and do try and leave a rating or even a review. We'd really appreciate that. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Three Drinks in Pod. You can like us on Facebook, and you can send us compliments, comments, and sponsor offers to Three Drinks in Podcast at Gmail dot com. And uh, last but not least, don't forget to check out our merch store over there at tpublic.com. dot com. So this was supposed to be in April of twenty twenty release, right? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, which I always thought was strange because James Bond movies typically come out around Thanksgiving. It's like an end of the year kind of thing, beginning of November or so. Mm-hmm. And uh, April, I was like, eh, why? I don't. I, I never quite got that. And even the other ones, they're all big blockbusters now. It's not like there's. It's like a small market anymore. And uh, yeah, so took them um, forever, but here we are. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what they're, I guess they uh, wanted to get ahead of like the summer season. I don't know. Yeah. So. But it finally came out. Finally came out. Finally stopped seeing trailers for it. Yeah, I didn't see too many. I tried to avoid them as per usual, just because like, I knew I wasn't going to learn anything about the plot. It was just going like, to ruin all the fun explosions. So I was like, eh, hey, we just... So I didn't watch them, and I just kind of put my... It's funny. I was in, I was in the theater one day, and you, and you had seen one just recently and said, like, I watched it, and I still have no idea what the movie's about. <laughs> and I said, okay. And so when I went to go see a movie like a week later... I saw one coming. I go, oh, I don't, I don't want. All right, so I just literally put my head down and like looked at my phone for a minute, and I could hear it, but it, it made no sense. <laughs> it was just a bunch of like random words and noises and explosions. I'm like, oh, I, that could be any movie right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and this movie, when you've seen it, is like so busy that now we understand why they didn't make a trailer out of it very good because. I wouldn't know how to do that. You know, how would you string it along where it didn't make sense? Yeah. And like, I'm trying to think of a trailer that I've seen where I was just like, like, I'm not sure what constitutes a good trailer, but like, I would think that giving you some idea of what the movie's about as an advertising thing, but I don't think people have to do that anymore. It used to be that like, if you go back and you watch old trailers for things, it's all in a world. Like there's, it's all that stuff because nobody knew anything. I think I can't tell if, if a if an editor's job is harder now or easier when it comes to trailers because you don't have to tell them what's going on in the movie. If you say this is the next Spider-Man movie, then people are just going to go and it's a matter of getting them more excited to go. I mean, now the challenge is to get people back into theaters 
as the pandemic uh, winds down. But this, you know, pre-pandemic, it was just about like you know, let's get people excited and put it on their calendar. They're gonna go. Just it's a matter of when. We, we you know we, we we want the money up front early on in the run. We don't we, we don't want them to sit around for a week and go. Oh, you know what's still playing that Spider-Man movie? So like they, they you want them to go. So you're not really advertising the movie so much as you're just getting people ginned up. But does that make it harder in some respects that you have to put together like its own little mini movie to not give away any information but generate a lot of enthusiasm? I don't know. Um, well, all I know is that. It- it's hurting other movies that aren't part of giant established franchises. Like there was way too many previews before this movie. You could hear <laughs> people audibly groan, but there were several where I just turned to you and I was like, what the hell is that? Like, I don't know what that is. Cause some of them weren't, they, they weren't Marvel movies or anything. Not all of them. No, there was and, Dune. There was the, like, the, like the new Edgar Wright horror movie. I, yeah. Like, was that a horror movie? Because it had such a weird tone. Yeah, and, and it went on and on. It was like this girl goes back in time when she falls asleep sometimes, and there's like a girl that looks just like her. I was like, I don't know what this is. It was very strange, you yeah. know. Like sometimes you need that voiceover. So, yeah, I and you you never really, it's kids movies you hear it in, which is particularly funny to me because like you know when you see an ad for the Paw Patrol movie, I'm like. You don't have to sell that at all. You just have to say Paw Patrol movie. It could be a white screen and then a picture of the dog comes up and some guy just says those two words and your kid's going to want to go see it. And so that's the end of that. It's like the easiest job in the world. It's easier than like the lady that comes around the hospital and takes pictures of your like, new- newborn baby to then sell you them. And, like, this is the easiest sales job on the planet Earth. <laughs> Baby's been alive for, like, three days. She comes and takes these really nice pictures. It's like, of course you're going to buy them. It's $300, but of course you're going to buy them. It's, you know. So, I, I don't know. It, like, got me thinking. It's like, what what, what exactly, you know. It, but it's, it's just one more thing that the IP, th- you know, concept has totally ruined. Is like, everything has to be IP. N- nothing can be. Not that. And, yeah, it's, it's taking a bite out of the whole thing. So. So what did you finally think of No Time to Die? Um, There's a lot to unpack, I think, both in terms of this movie and in terms of um, just the Daniel Craig chunk of it. Because... Well, let me, let's do one and then the other. So the movie itself, I really liked this movie. I kind of was sort of dreading it because people were kind of saying, oh, it's not that good. Like I just kept hearing rumblings and I'd see, you know, the headlines from film reviews on my Google News feed. And I'm just like, oh, the AV Club didn't like it. Okay. And, you know, this guy didn't like it. And, you know, and yet people really loved the newer ones like, Skyfall primarily, which I know that you didn't like, and um, they were they were not so keen on on Spectre, but now they were where we we you know it was like that was okay. Um, so I was kind of thinking like maybe they peaked with Skyfall and that and that was all that we were gonna get. And um, but no, I uh, I liked it, despite the fact that it has sort of like 
huge plot problems. Just, or, you know, not plot, but like plot slash character issues. And it's sort of a testament for like everything that went on in in this movie for the, from the acting and the writing and the directing and that like they had this just these giant sinkholes in the middle of so, of the story that you noticed for sure but you didn't mind quite so much because there was much more going on with the you know with your main character than typically is so like you know I don't know what the bad guy's motivation was or even what he ultimately wanted to do. And that seems odd for a film that was so carefully crafted that they would sort of omit that, like, what the main motivation is for your villain. And, uh, you know, so, so for those of you who are spoiling the movie for yourself, the basic plot is that... James Bond is settling down for a, you know life with his uh, with with Madeline Swan from the first from 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 from, from, from the last movie and he you know discovers that she's betrayed him or thinks she that 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 uh, she has and so he goes off and retires and is uh, brought back out of retirement by Felix Leiter to um what was it that thing that was tra- they were they were trying to track down Blofeld like the Spectre guys were all gathering in. Uh, in in Cuba, is yeah. that what? Yeah, that's that's why he, he's well, trying to. Some someone stole the super magic um, board technology. Yeah, and they were trying to understand who, if it was Spectre and why. Right. Okay. Because Blofeld what... was still locked up, so they're like, "How is he running everything from his prison?" And like, since they couldn't access him in the prison, they needed Bond to go and help them. Right. So, so you know, turns out it's. You know, all all you know they they get to the party in Cuba and all of Spectre dies. There's like I'm like as as I'm trying to like recap the plot. I don't think I can. Like I'm I'm gonna stop at this point because it's so complex in a way that like you know. But it turns out that Blofeld isn't the bad guy. He's still in jail, even though he was kind of not in jail because of that magic eyeball thing. And the real bad guy is um, Rami Malek, who, as far as I can tell, was put on this earth to play a Bond villain. That's just what he was designed to do. And train of thought running away from me. So, like, totally went out of my head. I hate when I do that. So that's that's the, that's the plot. It turns out that Rami Malek is really the one who's murdering Spectre agents and leaders using this magic bioweapon and they have to stop him somehow because he's like even more evil and more secretive. They don't even know he existed at the time. So it becomes a chase to catch him because he's connected to Bond's old flame, Madeline Swan. Right. Yeah. And the problem is you don't know what he really wants to do. Like he seems to accomplish his main goal, which is to get revenge on Spectre for killing his whole family. And he's successful in that. But then what the hell's going on on that crazy poison island? Like, but so like this is this is a huge problem. You know, there was all kinds of problems that I had, like, how does Blofeld communicate with these guys in, you know, in prison with the eye? Like he's under surveillance twenty four hours a day. Like he's he's able to run the the organization from Belmarsh prison in London, like 
all of these things, but it really kind of didn't matter in a way. Like it's it's a problem. I wish they had uh, they had sort of figured it out and not figured it out, but they had been more careful with that part of the story. But it, the story doesn't suffer. The characters don't suffer because of that. I think that's a testament to their writing. And one of the things I heard on a podcast that the that the, that the director said, which I thought was fascinating which was that they were writing the movie as they were editing the movie. Those of you who can't see Phil's face just kind of scrunch up like, huh? Visible confusion? Yeah. So there's a there's a story about the making of the movie um, Pretty Woman with Julie Roberts and Richard Gere where... Jason Jason Alexander, who plays like the small Weasley, you know, uh, business partner of Richard Gere, shows up on set to start making the movie, and he starts talking to Richard Gere about how it's been going. He's like, "I have no idea." He's like, "What do you mean? You've been shooting for like two weeks?" He goes, "Yeah, I don't know what movie we're making because the movie that like I signed on to make is not this." And Gary Marshall did this really weird thing where he basically had all the actors say their lines six different ways from Sunday, gave them new lines to say, and was writing the movie in his head as he was filming it with whatever script he was given. And then then they went and sat in the editing room and made a movie entirely different from the script that was that he was given to shoot. And that's that basically why Richard Gere is so terrible in that movie. Yeah, like there's a lot <laughs> of really awful. funny, weird things about that movie. That like it's not a great movie. It was just like your introduction to you know America's Sweetheart for a couple of decades. Anyway, so apparently that's what they did here. The director, whose name I I, I won't deign to pronounce because he's a complicated Japanese name, and I'm, I'm I, it's not I'm not looking at it, so I'm not gonna try to say it. But apparently he had all the actors say a variety of different sort of like choose-your-own-adventure type lines because they didn't know how the movie was going to end. Like, he admitted this in interviews. It wasn't like a secret. Like, he said, like, yeah, we filmed M saying this thing and then the other guy saying that thing, and then we just had him doing like nine different versions of that because they didn't know how the film was going to end. I'm like, that's weird. That's not good. (laughs) I don't know if it's not good. I mean, if it's deliberate, then it can be very useful. It's like I've heard of Ian Holm from, you know, when he played Bilbo Baggins, liked to do film acting that way, where he would give you the lines, he would do the, you would do the the script, but he would do it in such a different way every time he did it, that the director could take from that kaleidoscope of of performances whichever version of the lines he wanted that works if you're Ian Holm and you're a brilliant actor and you're not going to screw it up ever and so you just do it perfectly but different each time this is kind of like that giving you options in the edit to how you want to shape not just the character but the story and you can do that You you can shape the story with different interpretations of lines too but I've never heard of someone deliberately giving themselves an out, except like in Star Wars, when they filmed, you know, um, what's his name, uh, Mark Hamill saying one thing and then did it differently. You know, they they or like they they didn't tell him what like I think on set, 
um, the guy says Obi Wan was your father, and then he doesn't actually know, like no one else knew but Mark Hamill because they told him before they shot the scene he's really going to say this, which is a bigger deal. So you have to act like it's a bigger deal. So anyway, I just thought that was fascinating, but I think the drawback was that in all that editing for story, they kind of missed something. I feel in terms of like what exactly is the bad guy doing? Yeah, well, the movie's too long, also. And did so it feel long a, to you? Uh, yeah, it did. Okay. Like there was, and I know we were talking about it afterwards. We're like. You know, you needed everything in there. But the more I thought about it, it, they had crucial plot points that couldn't be taken out. But everything was so bloated that everything was like puffier than it needed to be. You know, certain scenes went on just a little too long and and certain parts of plots were extended too far that didn't need to be. So and I'm not saying like I sat there like, oh, my God, I wish this was over because I was I also enjoyed it. I was having a good time. But there were certain parts that, like, I was like, "Why is this taking so long? Is this going to matter later?" And it w- and it wouldn't. You know, there's there's a lot of scenes where M is played by Ray Fiennes, and he's he was the guy who created the super magic virus that gets stolen. And they have all these scenes with Bond where he he like yells at them and makes them feel guilty for creating a weapon stolen by terrorists that's now being used as a weapon of mass destruction. And I'm like, why do they keep bringing this up? Like, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to feel bad with with Ray Fines because like he sits there like looking mopey, you know, like he feels guilty that this thing got out into the open. But he says, it's not your job to judge me. You you do your job and I do my job. And they don't always, you know, our personal feelings don't always come into play. I'm saying like, what does this have to do with anything? It really isn't important. Ex- uh, you see, I disagree. I think that's the most important thing in the movie. Uh, you're wrong. So. <laughs> oh. It's not. It's not important. We if don't wonder st- why nuclear weapons are, are built. We know why they're built. No, but if you... St- so, if you look at the at the series as a whole, and we can... I, w- I wasn't going to wait till later to talk about this, but like, if you look at the series as a whole, you basically have, uh, of the five films... You have basically the first two, which is really one movie. And then you have the second three. And the first two are sort of like introducing the concept of him. They're sort of shrugging off a lot of the James Bondness of him. Like there's very little to identify those movies as James Bond movies besides the character's name and Ju- Judy Dench as M. And then once you get to Skyfall, they kind of go, no, we're going to bring all that back. We're just going to do it sort of slowly. And those movies are very critical of the British government and the, you know, the, you know, the, the Secret Service and, and just the way in which they conduct themselves as spies. You know, the guy in Skyfall has a beef with M for how she runs things, and he blows up um, her, uh, her office and basically points out all the ways. And like the the whole thing is the the theme of it is like, do we still need the double O's anymore? Do we, you know, is this kind of an antiquated way, you know, working in the shadows, blah blah blah? And that theme continues in Spectre, where they get hoodwinked by Blofeld into giving up all of their, you know, control to Spectre. 
you know, with that guy C taking over as like one of his disciples and, you know, doesn't even realize how, you know, who, who the guy is. And so this was sort of a continuation of that theme where, you know, the British government is, you know, is being criticized for how it runs its spy agencies. So is that interesting? I don't know. But it's been a large part of the, you know, the last three movies and their exploration of the character and of the idea of what James Bond is. Is he old? Is he antiquated? And if he's just the, you know, a, a cog in a machine, is that machine old? old and antiquated and, and needs to be updated, both in terms of, like, his effectiveness as a spy and the idea of this ultra-masculine kind of, you know, white male perspective on how things, and how to behave and how to act in the world. So it ends up being super important, even though it's... No, I, I, I think so all that thing, is there. It's not part of the story per se in the film. It's part of the larger story that, that they're trying to do. It's overall. not criticism if it's brought up by a maniac. Okay, so like I only saw I only saw Skyfall the one time, and I didn't like it. And from what I can recall, the issue was that uh, who was that? Uh, Javier Bardem. Yeah, Javier, Javier Bardem. Bardem. He's the yeah. bad guy, right? Wasn't he an agent himself? So he's an agent. And he got, like, left behind for dead or something? His cyanide pill didn't work? No, she traded him away. Okay. His his complaint was that, um, you know, he... I mean, it was he was also... He was a crazy person, so he, he was the bad guy. But he had a little bit of motivation in that he was started to, you know, to run off the reservation operations that she didn't sanction. And he got caught by the Chinese. And rather than try to get him back she traded um him for somebody else and like you know says said you can keep him and you know there was that so there was so that was his his thing but also there was the fact that he was having mi6 agents murdered by by releasing their it's like you know um uh the knock list from the original Mission Impossible movie where it's like you've, we're going to list all all the names, so right, right, right. they they you know drag M out on the carpet in Parliament to give her a talking to and saying like why do we even have your program if all that's going to happen is we're compromising these people we look stupid on you know on the on the international stage and you're getting these 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 people killed, so it was both you know Chris's. Criticism of M coming from Parliament as well as from the bad guy who was killing all these people out of a sense of of revenge. So, yes, but the the primary motivation of that guy is revenge against M, not the government. He doesn't care about that. He's trying right. to make her suffer, and all of that stuff feels haphazard and thrown in. Especially in so like especially in this one because like when you see the these are movies and so the extent of what they do is exaggerated because they're fighting exaggerated threats, you know. Not to mention it's not like the British decided to use this weapon for anything except their own missions. Like it was stolen and there was an insider who was like a traitor and everything. So like it doesn't go well for them, of course. I mean, it gets out. But they say, like, this was something that was supposed to help stop 
doing the things that we do. So like if one of the criticisms was like, why do we have these agents? Why do we do this? Why do we do that? Ray finds one point says like, this was supposed to be the ultimate assassin. We were supposed to have like do away with all the nonsense and the rocket cars by using something like this. It's not my fault. A maniac got a hold of it and is now changing its purpose for what it's being done, you know? And so, and then it doesn't even come up again later, which is the problem. Like, I don't see what happens to Ray find Like, does he feel bad about it at the end of the film? Do they continue with the project? Do they, do they sit and go, you know what bond was right and we've lost him now. And now we need to start like, you know, like it doesn't come back up again. It's just there. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the main criticism is not just that, you know, they were, they were using this particular kind of weapon, but also it was the weirdo, you know, Russian scientist involved he was the key to actually developing the weapon. So Bond saying, like, why'd you keep that guy around? You should have just killed him. He's an untrustworthy terrorist who we just decided to basically keep in a super secret lab in the middle of of London. And so it was not just like because like, yeah, M's argument is not a bad one. We you know, we we wanted to make a hyper specific way of killing somebody that you know that would be safe for the agents to handle and wouldn't kill anybody else, Um, which is all perfectly well and good so long as it works. But the problem is that to get that, you had to, you know, take with it the crazy guy who's susceptible to (laughs) being co-opted by the super-duper bad guy. You know, and, like, you're right. It's not, it doesn't come up again. It's not something that's addressed. It's not the crux, but it's, it's, thematically been there for the last three movies and it's them trying to grapple with what to do with James Bond in the new woke world that we're all kind of living in you know and this is why we're talking about is the next James Bond a woman which this is why 007 in this movie is a black woman they're trying to get people ready for like is this the way we want our superheroes to behave anymore because nowadays, guys that behave like Bond are sort of anti-heroes. They're not superheroes. That's why Ethan Hunt's character doesn't have any of these you know, of these these womanizing type type of, uh, of features to him. It's you know it's a, a way of addressing the relevance of the character by talking by having the people in the movies address the relevance of you know his job. And it's a kind of back and forth. And Bond has always been like, I'm really important. You really need me. And everyone's saying, no, we don't. And it's almost like like, like they haven't quite decided because the whole point of creating the super bots, you know, that they do in in, in this movie is to make the the double O program basically irrelevant so far as just dropping that little, you know, pill of whatever near someone to kill them. But he he says like you still need me even you know and now to clean up your mess and trying to get and trying to get rid of me, so it's this big tug of war between the two arguments here. Like, do we really want you know misogynistic jerks running around doing what he does, or or have we moved past that? And no one can quite answer that question. But it's being raised over and over again. That's stupid. It's Maybe. a stupid thing to do. No, but it. That's not Daniel Craig. You see, that's 
that's people projecting the last 50, 60 years of the of film history onto these movies. And that was my main complaint with all the other, I mean, not Casino Royale, that's a great movie. <laughs> but with most of these films is that, so like when I watched, when we watched Casino Royale, Bond was, was supposed to be like the rebooted Bond, right? Here's this new guy. He's different from all the other ones. He's more blunt. He's more violent. He doesn't have the, the, the wit and the charm quite yet. He's fresh at this. And it was great. It's objectively one of the best ones they've ever done. And I thought that was fine. Cause like at the end, when he starts, um, you know, the theme music's playing, he's got the gigantic gun in his hand. You're like, Oh yeah. Okay. Now he's going to be like the bond. I kind of know. And then they did all the other ones. And I was surprised to see that they didn't do that. First of all, I was surprised that they made them all connected, you know, very much more like you've got five or six of these movies and they're all telling one story about this character, you know, and people were constantly throwing that stuff as, you know, is he a womanizing drinking, you know, meathead kind of, he's not any of those things. He's this angry, broken person who doesn't do anything but scowl and punch people in the face. And he has a martini here and there. I mean, that's not the normal character everybody knows, you know? So I'm not saying you're doing this. I'm just saying that, you know, everyone's like, why doesn't Bond do this? You know, he can't be this misogynistic dinosaur. He isn't. Yeah. I don't yeah. know where people are, where are people getting that from? You know, it's sort like of meta in that regard. Like, but, like, but, but that's, that's the wrong thing to do when you're judging the film on its merits is what I'm saying. That's not what I, you know, okay. I know Sean Connery was doing those things. That was 60 years ago. That has no bearing on what I'm watching right this second. So like, and, and I didn't like a lot of those films because and it's not like I needed him to be witty and drinking and sleeping with people. It's like they sucked out all the life out of the man. He was so broken from this one woman. I mean, really, dude? I mean, we've all had more than one girlfriend here, haven't we? <laughs> he had this girlfriend that he loved for a short time, and she got killed, and she, he felt betrayed by her. So he's never going to love again? Really? Like, he becomes this hardened shell? And there's no jokes. There's no wit. You know, everything is this scowl. It didn't let him act. You know, it, it wasn't in the first movie. I could see it because he was supposed to be new. And in this film, he did. He let loose a little. He told jokes with Felix. You know, he made, you know, he cracked wise. He smiled. Dylan yeah, Craig's a great actor. He smiled more in this movie than he has in pretty much any other movie I've seen him in. And I was saying, you know, like if we had just gone from Casino Royale to this one and skipped the ones in the middle, it would be more believable that he would become this kind of person, kind of jaded, not exactly trustful, still angry when he needs to be. But all this mopey BS in the middle was like, it was death to me. And not like, it wasn't my bond. He was a boring person to watch whatever, what he was called. Yeah. I, you know? I think one of the problems too, and I just saw like, like one of those GQ interviews with, with, with Daniel Craig where he just kind of reads off like a but a bunch of questions off off of a card it's, it's like a new style of you know interviews with uh celebrities now um and somebody asked somebody had had sent had sent in a question why is there so much time in between your movies <laughs> he's like because i keep getting hurt and it's true he's doing so many stunts that he like he broke his leg on one movie and the other and in a different one he like 
he hurt his shoulder or his elbow, like something like that. Like, there's so much time in between, and he's made five of them. Like, Casino Royale came out in 2008. 2006. Six? Okay, so I didn't even, I wasn't even dating my wife. <laughs> so, like, fun fact, today's our anniversary. It's our eight-year anniversary. Um, and she, she she pointed out to me before, like, yeah, we've, <laughs> we've been together almost 14 years. That's longer, that's that, that's not as long as, as he's been in this role as James Bond. So, I, yeah, you make a really good point to say that, like, you know, they... He he wasn't the kind of character that that Roger Moore was and that uh, Sean Connery was, and that the filmmakers themselves, not just the 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 critics of the movies, but the filmmakers, are speaking to the other portrayals of the character with their portrayal of you know using Craig as as Bond in this. Um, but you're right; like he he never had a chance to let loose and act and like. Be that you know, womanizing, fun-loving kind of guy who's also very, very dangerous. He just kind of like went right to dangerous, and I think it's because he got old fast. Like he was like thirty-eight when he got cast. They made the movies. He was in his forties. Now he's like fifty-four, or you know, he's not a yeah, young he's person. Older. So like, yeah, I buy him as a suave guy. But something about his age and, you know, his intensity on screen, you know, didn't lend itself to the casual, carefree, playboy type, you know, man of mystery thing that, you know, the other characters had and that they were using him to criticize. Yeah, there was, and I was thinking this before I saw the article, so I'm going to take credit for it. But I was thinking (laughs) of Pierce Brosnan. Now, GoldenEye is probably objectively the best James Bond film that there is. Whoa. And that whoa, I shots know. fired, everybody. And and Pierce Brosnan um was great in that first one. And his other ones were really silly. But there was something about Pierce Brosnan that I wish they had done well with any of them. But if you're gonna make a realistic type of character who's a secret agent spy like this, then he was playing it the way that Daniel Craig probably should have done it in which he is that guy. He's a little misogynistic, loves a good drink. He's funny. He's witty. He's also ruthless when he needs to be. But under the surface, you can sort of tell. And people mention things like, was it because you're sleeping with all these girls because you couldn't save all the other girls? He kind of shrugs like, it's the way I am. What can I do? You know, I'm in a bloody business. People get killed. I have a license to kill people, you know. I think they, they use that phrase a lot and people kind of forget what it means. He has a a laminated card that allows him to shoot people dead because <laughs> he licensed to kill you know that's not something that you're supposed to shrug at you know killing people is part of it and and sacrificing people if the mission calls for it you know and so they call him out on that and he kind of shrugs he goes this is the kind of person i am because of the things that i do you know and it's just under the surface he doesn't overplay it it's just it's just part of the character that's kind of what they're getting at with Daniel Craig, but he doesn't have that, those moments. He's just always angry that, that he is this way. That's why he retires every movie. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't That's want true. this life. If yeah, you don't all want this. Yeah. If you don't want it, then don't do it. The bond, the Pierce Brosnan's bond knows that it's a miserable existence sometimes to be this way and be alone. 
but you do it. You do it to save people, you know. Sure, you throw a girl off a bridge, but, you know, <laughs> it might save 40 other people. And so I I don't know why they, they took that out of Daniel Craig because that's kind of what they were trying to explore, like that hidden depth that Pierce Brosnan was, was just, you know, the glimpse of. But he never really got a chance to do it. So I think yeah. this one was was great to watch because you could see that finally. Yeah, Despite the, the fact that your brain had to fill in all the plot holes that they missed. <laughs> yeah. So. The the context of this film allowed him to be a bit more, you know, he was relaxed. You know, he was he was <laughs> retired. He was living in Jamaica. He was, you know, just sort of doing his thing. And um, it was fun to see him, like, make jokes and sort of be lighthearted. And it, at the same time, though, it was weird because I'm just not used to that. Like... You know, he did that movie Knives Out a little while ago where he plays a detective. Yes, the main girl was the girl in this. Did you realize that? I, I did. Um, Anna it took me uh, a Darmus. <laughs> yeah, who's she's just stunning. I think she's got these two big old doe eyes that uh, just, just kind of grab you. That was that was a great set. We'll, we'll, get, we'll, we'll, get, we'll, we'll get better. But like... Eventually, we will get to the actual film. The actual movie. Um, <laughs> Instead of the history of James Bond. But hearing him talk with a southern accent and make jokes is weird. Because he's just so much James Bond to me. I mean, even in... like The first time I saw Craig was in, I think, Layer Cake. And Layer Cake is what got him James Bond. You know, he there's a couple of iconic scenes. and like, But like I go back and I watch Layer Cake now, having seen this, and I'm just like... He's kind of pathetic and you know and goofy at, par- at parts in Layer Kick. He's not you know he's a tough guy in a way, but not the same way that James Bond is. He's also about forty pounds lighter. Like he's just he's like this skinny guy. I remember seeing him before he was in Knives Out. He remember he was in Logan Lucky. Lo- I was I was just thinking of Logan Lucky too when he played yeah. another southern act a southern accented person. And in that one, I was like, well, this is very different from James Bond. Yeah, but but it showed you that he could do it. Yeah, that was not a good movie in the long run. It it kind of bit off more than it could chew. Yeah, but but he was good. But he so, was yeah, he was very good. Yeah. And I, I I think I think all actors who get these kind of you know life altering parts, you know they they have yeoman's work ahead of them trying to figure out how to do this job and like you know do stuff that's sort of worthwhile i think a few people are really good at it um uh what's his name harry potter uh i can't think of the actor's name daniel radcliffe radcliffe yeah has done a really nice job of just not giving a shit like he'll just like he makes movies he wants to make he never has to work again a day in his life no nor will his great grandkids but you know, and so he's just like, "What can I do?" That's the, the the least like Harry Potter. I'll play a psychotic naked kid who stabbed a bunch of horses in the eye on Broadway. Sold. And like, then he went on and made a whole bunch of other movies. He made like, you know, had to succeed in business and like. So I think that Daniel Craig is, is has done a pretty good job of like showing I can do other things than this, and it'll be interesting. Like, it's not. You know, I've I've got some range here that I just wasn't wasn't allowed to show for fifteen years because <laughs> they wouldn't really write anything to 
to let me do that. But um, so what were some so things that you liked particularly about this movie? Because I have a bunch of things I really enjoyed. Um, well, Daniel Craig was very good. <laughs> I I liked that it was um, um, it was engaging. So even though it was long in parts, and there were parts that didn't really matter much to you know to anything, um, you were never bored because there there was always a sense of like urgency and what's going on and what's happening, and it, the the pacing and the escalation got better and better as it went. So like you know there was an action scene every so often to break up the pace, which was good, and the action scenes I thought were pretty good. Um, like this is the part with a the car. Um, there's the part when they're in, are they supposed to be in Cuba? Is that what that was? Mm-hmm. He went to Cuba, right? Yeah. They're in Cuba. They're at this like casino birthday party for Blofeld and all the Spectre agents are shooting them. Um, and other things like that. Uh, I like the cinematography a lot. Yeah. Somebody mentioned that in, in, in a podcast today and I hadn't thought about it really, but like, yeah. in during, during it, I was like, this looks cool like it just looked it, clear and well done and, and it, it wasn't overdone like skyfall skyfall seemed like overly impressed with itself whereas this one was just just enough to be noticeable but like not enough to be distracting i so i think the cinematographer for skyfall was roger deakins who is kind of a legend and works very closely with um uh with Sam, uh, Sam, not Sam Raimi, um, guy who directed those freaking movies. I can't think of it. Um, Sam Mendes. <laughs> well, Sam Mendes. Yeah. So he also did uh, 1917, he did Blade Runner. Um, but then also movies like No Country for Old Men. Like he's a big fan of Shadow and the, you know, juxtaposing light and, um, and dark and, I I liked Skyfall, what the you know the, the especially like the, the scenes in in China where they had all these neon and the back and forth and like, but you're right, it draws attention to itself, and this movie yeah. doesn't do that. This one doesn't do that, and there there are scenes like when they're in the woods and he's trying to hunt down these agents, it's great and scene. it's all in the fog, but it doesn't draw attention to itself the fact that it's in the fog. Like he doesn't comment on it. He's just dealing with the fog as it comes. And using the fog and using his surroundings. Right. Yeah. It, it's it's not totally artsy. It's it's practical for them in the scene, you know. So there are a lot of there were a lot of scenes like that that I, I thought were really good. Yeah. It was, um, it was just a beautiful like I don't know what it was, but like you're right, like just this sort of like the the greenness of it, you know, it was, it was very, very green, but it wasn't like sharply green. It was all sort of like it just all it all kind of made sense. It was a yeah, it was a practical way to shoot this movie. Um, yeah, I, I thought the action scenes were good. There was a good scene at the end that was like, you know, one long take, even though I don't know if it was or wasn't. It looked that way. <laughs> it, it was edited to look like it was one long take. So I enjoyed yeah, there that. Was, <laughs> Whether it there, was or not, I don't know. There was one place I saw where they could... Where they could have done it. Where they yeah. could have hit it, yeah. And but I, at the time, I was like, I'm enjoying this enough that I don't want to start looking for the seams, so I'm going to stop. Like, I yeah. was looking. Like, I, well, like something hits you where you realize that's what's happening. Yeah. But after a while, you're like, eh, whatever. This is fun. <laughs> you know who? Somebody did a, 
a video on YouTube about the long take. And I don't know when it came out, like if, if it was in response to like The Vast of Night or one of these movies that came out where like the whole damn movie was like that. It might have been after uh, 1917. But he was saying that like there are people who do it when you truly don't realize it's happening. And he pointed to a scene in Jaws that I must have seen. I must have seen Jaws 20 times because I love that movie. It's just fantastic. It's almost a perfect movie. There's a long take in that movie. It's just not one where someone's punching and shooting somebody else. It's a long talking scene in the beginning when Brody is trying to convince the mayor to do something. And he's just following them around going from the dock to the ferry to the, you know, it just, it's a, it, it's a scene that's designed to give information both about character and about the setting. And you don't realize that, like, if this scene was done, like, in a, um, in an office with two guys sitting opposite a desk, it would be boring as all get out. And, it you know, you really wouldn't care. But because it's done on the move and there's this one long take... You know, it makes the whole thing seem much more urgent and compelling. I think we 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 get them a lot in in, um, in movies now in 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 the action sense. Like it's always an action movie. It's not anything else. And a little bit in in the Vast of Night was you know that that was like but again that that was a very gimmicky thing and that the whole film was shot like that. Um, but so like I think the fact that you're you're watching an action sequence and you realize after a while, like, oh boy, whew, we are still in this. And you just, you're feeling tired because the camera doesn't let you breathe. And it it can help, but it, I think it makes you tired more than it makes you impressed in a way. But it, it didn't go on too long, which was kind of, and it just kind of sneaks up on you. Yeah. Well, like, oh, look, here's this thing. We're just going to do this for, for about two minutes. Yeah, that's fine. Like, it was long enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by the way, I'm looking at. I was good. Uh, I'm looking at this guy's um, uh, resume as a director, and I don't recognize much on it. Like he he wrote it, the movie it, um, the uh, the, movie, the the film Beasts of No Nation, which he which he directed as um, as well. It's supposed um, to be a big one, isn't it? Um, it's about you know uh, I think the uh, the Ghanaian civil war. So, yeah, I, yeah. I remember Idris, that one being big. Idris Elba was uh, was in it, and then Jane Eyre he directed with uh, Michael Fassbender and someone else. I I have no idea. Hmm. And then some, something called Sin Nombre, which is a American thriller film about a Honduran girl trying to immigrate to the U.S. So, like, yeah, like, he's basically directed one, two, three, four, five movies before he made this giant blockbuster and really okay. did a great job. Like, I, I mean, uh, yeah, he did a good job, I, I think. I mean, you're, there were the plot holes with the with the main villain's motivation and that he didn't have any. He yeah. just turned out to be a crazy person at the end. Um, I think it was too long. I, mean, I could have picked five more places where I think he could have cut some stuff. But 
it it's good enough and and i think if you're going to connect all these films which they apparently decided to do about halfway through um this one was good for for wrapping everything up like once they started killing off all the characters i was like okay they're they're clearly bookending this so that when we do get a new james bond because everyone knows daniel craig isn't doing this anymore uh we can start fresh again which is fine because they'll be doing this forever so <laughs> as long as they keep making money is there anything you particularly liked or didn't like um what do you think of the theme song it was okay i couldn't tell who it was for a while mostly because i find absolutely nothing remarkable about billy eilish's voice she kind of reminded me of the lead singer from garbage i don't know why i think it's because like i was in you know we're in a james bond movie and they did a james bond song and that person also whoever was the the, the lead singer of garbage had a sort of bland and tinny kind of soprano-ish rock voice and I don't know like it the song wasn't I have, to, I have to play it again I haven't heard it since we saw it but like eh it was, it was okay you know it, it came out I remember it came out right before the movie was supposed to come out you know you tie these things in because that was like when Billie Eilish was getting really popular yeah and then they delayed the movie because of the pandemic, but the song was already out. And oh. they were like, all right. Like I heard it on the radio a couple of times and it was just like, well, there's nothing we can do now. Like we put the song out and she's really popular. Like last year she was everywhere. So it's like something we can do. So like I've heard this song a bunch of times before the movie even started. Huh? No, I had no yeah. idea. Yeah, they just were like, well, it's out there, you know, promote it. I can remember when I was still at the store and there were bags of Doritos all over the place with Wonder Woman promoting the Wonder Woman movie that didn't come out. I was like, oh, yeah, they they plan this stuff way in advance. Like, I'd forgotten they do that stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, hell, before the movie comes out, it's been in the can for like seven months. Yeah, you just (laughs) take that stuff for granted. Yeah, you really, yeah, that's true. Um, but you know, I um, I liked the woman who played the new 007, uh, Lashana Lynch. Yes, she, she was, was good. she was really good. She and like no one drew attention to anything about that, which was sort of nice. Like you didn't have to make a big deal out of it. Like I remember some, somebody was saying on a different podcast about this movie. Like he had just watched a Dirty Harry movie, and it was like the third one, The Enforcer. Where like he gets paired with like a lady cop, and basically they just make fun of the lady the entire movie and how she's useless, and she dies at the end because she sucks. Like it's just one of those things where, you know, you take old school Clint Eastwood and like make that the the sort of the butt of every joke in the movie. And here it's just like, yeah, okay, fine. You know, well, that's not, how it should be. Yeah, like I and I, it's one of those things where I can't tell if they're like preparing us for like you know get ready guys because this is going to be a whole new thing. And that I'm not saying that would be the worst thing in the world, but you'd be making a different kind of movie. And I think that they're all pretty talented enough over there at Eon Productions to realize that, like, we're not going to call her James Bond. We're just going to call her 007, or we're we're gonna, you know, we're gonna make a movie in the same style, 
with some of these same characters and same and and, and the same actors, but it just it's going to be different. Can you know? Can you know? Do you see us re- rebooting the whole thing again or just continuing it on? I don't know. I would be fine with either in a way. Like I would miss James Bond, but at the same time, like you and I are about halfway through our other series on James Bond where we're talking about the old ones. Are we? I think we're farther than that. Uh, it doesn't feel like I don't like know. That. <laughs> we, yeah, it doesn't feel like it. We like have to we, do the Timothy Dalton ones. We, we, we have to do, yeah, two two Daltons, four Brosnans, and then to catch up where we started with, which was with Spectre. It's funny, like, you and I have been doing this for a long time. We've only ever reviewed two James Bond movies as as they came out. Mm. The last two. So, like... Wow, we stink at this. <laughs> <laughs> What's taking so long? What's taking? Well, it took them so long. I mean, for God's sakes, they could have made you know in in whatever the first few Sean Connery ones. They made like one a year. They just cranked them out like iPhones. They just God, thank God they didn't do that with this. Because then we have to do them again. Like, are we going to do this again? <laughs> well, Maybe in I, a few I, years. <laughs> I'm going to say no. We'll just yeah. We don't really need to do that. <laughs> yeah. I ho- hopefully we'll get through it. But like you know, we have to do six more movies and then the. You know the first three Daniel, Daniel Craig movies, so that's nine more movies we have to watch. Again, you're welcome, everyone. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Look, we do this for you. I was going to say we're doing this all for you. I hope you're happy. You know, but um, no, no. So like, so she was good. I love Jeffrey Wright. He's good in everything. I like him as Felix because he yeah, he's good as Felix. Like. I always thought he was a good choice just because, like, the first Felix in, in Dr. No is, like, the American James Bond. He's handsome. He's got sunglasses on. He's wearing the same suit. And then they bring out the other guy in, like, uh, I think it was Goldfinger. Or the, and he's, like, 70 years old. <laughs> he's not that useful. What, what's odd about Felix is that he, he changes. Sometimes he's old and then sometimes he's, like, the goof who can't do anything yeah like like the one where they were in down in louisiana he was like completely useless yeah i was like what's wrong with this this character he's never been like this before and spoiler alert he dies in this film but he's died before yeah him dying is the plot of one of the timothy dalton movies where like someone murders him and bond has to go on this like avenging killing spree because the cia won't follow up on it or something so like He's always been this like expendable kind of character, but I think in this one he does. They do a really good job of showing that like they're buddies, yeah. You know, instead of just like casual chums who always talk to each other, you know. And and I was always surprised they left him out of the Pierce Brosnan ones. I guess they felt that they couldn't bring him back because he had died, so they got Joe Don Baker instead, <laughs> who I liked in 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 Goldeneye. Who then he would. He totally. was fine because yeah. he wasn't useless, you know. Yeah, like he, was ones, he was just very different. He was a foil, but you know, not not a pathetic foil. Yeah, and like in this one, you got that sense that like they're again that way. Like they're both competent, but they're different because British people and American people are extremely different. And Bond is supposed to be suave, and Felix is not. Yeah, he, he has his own charms. <laughs> You know? Yeah, like he's not not charming in um in like Casino Royale, 
you know, like he, you know, he grabs him on the stairs. They had this really great exchange about how, you know, I'll, I'll give you the money to keep going. <laughs> he says, well, what about the winnings? He says, he goes, does it look, does it look like we need the money? <laughs> uh, yeah. Just, you know, like that's a really great kind of suave, badass line from a guy that, you know, he's a short, frumpy, you know, kind of half balding guy. Like he's not, he looks completely different, but he doesn't. Again, he doesn't look useless. He doesn't look like he can't, you know, perform a similar function. Yeah. So he was, um, and you're right. Jeffrey Wright was good in this. Like, they had a nice scene with where they hang out together and the nice death scene and all that stuff. I like the guy that played um, the uh, the henchman, um, Logan Ash. They, you know, it was you know supposed to be for the from this the State Department. Oh, the blonde guy? The blonde guy, yeah. That blonde guy was stupid. That part they could have cut. What was the point of that guy? Well, I don't know. I thought that he, you know, started off for kind of like, you know, I'm in, I'm, I'm in, over, in over my head. Turns out, no, I'm not. I'm totally. And I like how he died very unlike the second in command in Tomorrow Never Dies, the giant German guy. Who like you know? It's great. <laughs> the the only way Bond could beat him was by dropping a rocket on his foot and having it go off. Like, yeah, he was he was great, but he was basically invincible. Like he was what the Nazis were were working on all those years. And this yeah. guy, you know, is not that competent. He's just dangerous. You can be dangerous and not competent at at the same time and you know when bond takes care of him in the uh in the forest in a really interesting way try dropping a car on him like that was kind of cool and it it wasn't prolonged and drawn out it was you know was, right i mean there there are no super weird characters like that in these movies that that's a bit more grounded it, my only thing was that he was superfluous he didn't need to be there oh he ne- he needed to get uh he needed to kill felix and he, and he needed to steal the um the thing from Bond to get it to the to to Severin or whatever his name is. Well, that's what I mean. Like the movie was long because so many things that were that were that were padded. Like I'm not saying it would have been worse or better. I'm just saying if I wanted to cut down the runtime rather than have him work as like the secret agent guy who's working with Felix and Felix doesn't know. Just have him be at that Spectre party and grab that scientist when they're done. You know, we don't have to do the whole thing where, like, I take him to Felix's boat and we, oh, my God, I'm a secret agent and all this other stuff. Like, it, it was just extra that didn't need to be there. It didn't, it didn't like, bother me so much. I said, like, oh, my God, I hate this part. It was just like, this is taking a while. Why didn't they just do it that way? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I just, felt, I, I just felt that, like, his... The the character, yeah, it's you're right. It's it's extra. It doesn't necessarily need need to be there. But I thought it worked. I thought having him as this, he's because he's kind of weird. Like at first you think he's goofy and kind of inept, and and well, and, and overset. But then like as he's fighting with Bond and he smiles at him in that really weird way, like that was an interesting choice. I felt like in that moment to kind of go <laughs> like smile at him in that strange way. Right, it mean, kept that consistency not- even though he was he was turning. It's it's not that these things hurt the movie. They're just they're just unnecessary. Like I remember at the end too, right? Bond is on that island in international war in disputed area of international waters. 
and he's trying to blow up this guy's lab of uh, secret, you know, world destroying virus. And then there's this thing with uh, M in his office where the Russians and the Japanese and the other like nations of the world want to know what they're doing there. Like you have a plane flying in the sky and it's like, we need to get Bond out of there before he causes an international incident. But again, they don't bring that up again later. Bond just blows the island up. And they say, do we have a ship in nearby that we can use to blow up this island? We do. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> How come they weren't bothered by our enormous warship? You know, like, it's just extra. Like, they weren't quite sure what to do, and they just left it in. And it doesn't hurt the film. Yeah. But, but I was sitting there wondering, like, is there going to be, like, re- repercussions to this? But there there weren't. So I was like, okay. Yeah, it's, again, it's plausible, but not necessary. Yeah, like, it makes sense. It's not like yeah. it's, like, not like oh, that's stupid. It doesn't, it, it doesn't distract. It just kind of prolongs the whole thing a bit, a bit longer than it needed to be. Yeah. So. But it was, look, it, it was, it was better than Spectre for sure. You know, it, it's, um, you know, you'll you'll probably put this one above um skyfall but like i don't know i i thought it was a good movie i thought it was a very fitting send-off i thought that the i mean we didn't even get to the fact that like he had a kid well that was my next question what did you think of the ending i thought it was great i thought it humanized him and made him very complete i thought that they did the only thing that no one had done before with the character which was to give him a child and it was interesting to see him taking on that role and have it really be personal cuz like in in the other cases it's never been personal like as much as they say it is like he's going for revenge for vesper revenge for this girl for felix or whatever there is nothing like the danger of a child to you know engage an audience in its sense of actual dread and the, it really, you know, he, that guy is so creepy and the, the little girl is so well-behaved <laughs> as she's being carted from one maniac to another maniac. Um, yeah. I mean, she if there was ever a MacGuffin, I mean. Yeah. it was At one point, it, the only part I really didn't like was like when he was carrying her down through his underground lair, the bad guy. Yeah. And at one point she drops her like little stuffed rabbit and she's looking for it, so she bites him on the hand because she wants she wants him to drop her so she can go find the rabbit. And he just looks at her and goes, oh, you want to go? Okay, go. And he lets her run off. I was like, what was the point of this? Yeah. Again, like, in a cage or something. His his motivations are so unclear that I was surprised when he when he let her go. Like he was, you know, it wasn't quite clear why he yeah. was doing anything like it was clear it, in the beginning when he murders her in that flashback sequence where he, yeah, he, well, he murders her mother they they took the uh like the volcano layer bond film stuff and they just like grafted it onto the end of this one and they're like well we'll just let the people fill in the blanks on their own i guess like okay <laughs> which is kind of a theme i felt throughout the entire movie which which was that this was in sort of an anti-Bond movie in some respects because they were wrapping things up and that was clear. And, you know, 
they you know they gave him certain things to deal with like the child which was unusual and he never worked for MI6 pretty much the entire movie maybe like for like the last hour of the movie not even he was actually employed uh by MI6 um but they also managed to get in every trope and sort of sort of standard bond thing like there was a gadget that killed someone in an interesting way there was a quip that worked that was a pretty good one um you know there was there was a car which i i haven't really really enjoy the car scene when they're trying to shoot the car and the car is so bulletproof that nobody can get through and the guy walks over with that giant gun and like the tension was really well done like we're shooting at the window like he's gonna break through and he's just standing there all or sitting there all so like they had all this stuff in it to make it a sort of standard James Bond movie on its face but it really wasn't and like the 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 big thing that made it different was the uh you know was the you know was the child and that you know yeah she's 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 a MacGuffin and the that guy didn't know what to do with her but you know it provided a very interesting sort of farewell and the fact that he that the bad guy infects Bond with the with the virus that's harmful to him but deadly to the only people that he loves in the world it's like a bit of gilding the lily but it worked like you know it's, it's that's it, yeah, well, it, it's it has him sacrifice himself for more than just king and country right yeah. well it's thematically it's thematically appropriate that he'll he can continue working or and stay away from them forever or he can give himself up and you know choose to just die knowing that he still loves her like rather than give her up like you can't do both is kind of the idea yeah and that's the one he chooses and like they blew him up at the end and i was like good that, that that's the end of his of his little journey his arc you know it was clear he didn't want to be a secret agent anymore yeah whether he was good at it or not you know you, you're taking a risk and telling a story of I'm, I'm going to kill off this character his journey is done you know he he can't he's too damaged he can't live the life that he wants to have that's not the kind of life he's meant to to, to exist with so i also appreciated that they didn't pussyfoot around the fact that the kid is his like you just said, it's like, oh my god, that's my kid. She's got my eyes, you know. She like, says every time they show a kid, and oh, that kid is exact age. The last time we had sex, it's like, <laughs> oh, the one. What are we waiting for? Just say it's your kid, you know. I mean, she, she, she does say to him, she's not yours. Yeah, but but I was like, come on. <laughs> but but I think she was saying that in the sense of like like she's not yours. She's right. mine. Like she's, she's mine. Yeah, which was, in, but I again, that was really well done. You don't have her come out and say it, but you don't deny it either. You just yeah, like I was make a point of Superman saying, Returns when they're like, "Oh, this kid isn't Superman's." I'm like, "It's oh, clearly yeah. Superman's." Like, <laughs> so stupid. Yeah, talk about an escalator to nowhere, though. Jesus. Yeah, but anyway, but yeah, no, this was this was good. I recommend nice fitting tribute at the end. And I think it was also good how like they didn't leave it open as to if he died like you saw him get blown up <laughs> like it, it, yeah, it was there and i was watching to see if they would like cut away before that because i was like oh man he's like standing outside those things might really hit him and then like he's standing right where one of them rockets just blows up it's like oh yeah no one's walking away from that okay <laughs> you know yeah. 
They got the little shout out to uh, Judy Dench in there. Although oh, yeah. they did have the one for Bernard Lee, which was nice. Yes. No. Like we no, both looked at each other like, good for him. Yeah. And, and, and the other, oh, and the other references too, like All the Time in the World, which was from um, on, Her, on, Her Majesty's, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. There was another Aston Martin in there as well. It was, wasn't was just the iconic DB5. There was another one. I can't think of which one it was, the DB whatever. That, was that his second car? Um. Like when he's like, all right, let's get the car out, or, or I don't know, they look the same after a while. Yeah, I believe that Aston Martin did the, the DB5 featured in a bunch of movies, and then that was the next one that they featured, and then they were they were out of it for a while. Like Lotus did one, um, which is a, a different British car company, uh, did one of the um, uh, Roger Moore ones with. Uh, with like the like the submarine one that was yeah. uh, Brosnan um, always had BMWs. Yeah, so Brosnan had um a Z3 in GoldenEye um which didn't really feature at all. It was just he just drove it for like 5 minutes in Cuba. Um and then the uh this the BMW 750 was the one with like the car or the or the phone controlled the car. Yeah. And then <laughs> I think Oh yeah, and then in um what do you call it? Uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. They actually have my favorite of uh, almost any BMW, which is the BMW Z8, which is a which was like a limited production run for a car that was designed to be a throwback to an older model BMW. It's just a gore. I saw one maybe like two, three months ago at a Cars and Coffee. It's just gorgeous. But uh, then after. Uh, I think their contract expired after that, and then they went back to Aston Martin for um, Die Another Day with the uh, with the car that with that that goes invisible. <laughs> yeah, that was really dumb. But that was the Aston Martin Vanquish. I can't wait or, to talk about that movie. Yeah, I don't know why people crap on that car. <laughs> the car? The car was oh. awesome. That was the best part about that movie. Was that was well, that a car? Of all the things, like, the car goes <laughs> invisible. Like that's what's bothering you, not the guy with diamonds in his face, like, where <laughs> or the gene like... therapy. That's not what's bothering you. The invisible car. <laughs> you turn the Asian guy into a white man, like. <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah. yeah. So, the but yeah, so I, the... Anyway. <laughs> the robot laser suit. I don't know what was happening. But jam trousers. So yeah, I uh, I can't remember which word, but like that was that was one of the um, older Aston Martins, and there, there was a couple other things there too. Um, what brought this up? I forgot. What were we talking just about? Just like all all the different homages that they had. Oh yeah, there's a lot. Of it, you know, and um, he looks great in a in a six thousand dollar tuxedo, doesn't he? Oh Jesus! Like yeah, he no. like he he came out a lot. Like they would, <laughs> they were always pouring themselves with drinks. <laughs> Oh, but I was thinking it too. Like, just it's the middle of the day, and everyone like you've got serious national security business to attend to. We're all drinking yeah. whiskey all the time. Like that. Like we're that's not an mad men. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like they had a lot of shots of him walking out onto the street wearing a like a really nice suit or tuxedo. Yeah. And like he looks great. I'm not gonna say he doesn't look great in that. Anybody would look good in a six thousand dollar suit. But yeah, no. There so were, there were a lot of those shots. <laughs> yeah, the um, so I think the the designer that dressed Pierce Brosnan and I think also in 
um, Casino Royale was uh, uh, Brioni, which is an Italian house, and then Tom Ford took over for uh, for them for I think Quanta, uh, for Quantum of Solace on, and Tom Ford has really interesting clothes, like they're traditional sort of straightforward type of things, but they also have a little bit of stuff that's kind of different. Like, you know, like the, you can actually tell, I don't know about you, but like the screen that we saw, that we, we, we saw this on was so clear that I could see like the fabric of the suits. Like you could tell how nice the suit was just by the fact that the fabric looked nice. Um, but uh, I just got, I just, I don't know. I love the way that Tom Ford suits look because they're, like, they're, me- they're meant for guys like Daniel Craig, guys who are not too tall, who are really, really fit. And they just, they look traditional, but they're a little bit more unique. They're not boring suits. And there's always little bits and pieces like how the tie is worn and, you know, like a, like a thing on the lapel. There's always something that makes them just a little bit different. And that's the kind of, um, sartorial touches that I that I like that James that James Bond has, which, you know, most you know, you can do it really boring or you could do it do it not. Um apparently uh the guy who dressed um Sean Connery told him to take all the suits home and go sleep in them. And that's how you how you like you really wear a suit. And like if Sean Connery could do anything, it's wear a suit. And it's not easy to do. You can't just like if you look uncomfortable in that thing, that's like that no one's gonna want to be near you because no one wants to be standing next to somebody who looks uncomfortable in in what they're wearing. And Sean Connery just looked like he, like was just they were like they were they were, they were like hit, hit his pajamas, but they look great, you know, like <laughs> you know his suit pajamas, uh, his suit pajamas, you know. And and Craig's like that too. Like he he never looks uncomfortable in anything. It all looks like he could run around, and he does, you know, and. Like the one in the beginning was great, like that, like that light color one with that with, with, with the with the with the, the dark blue shirt. You know, it's just oh, yeah, they all look that, good. They're gorgeous, just gorgeous clothes. So, well, we've gone a bit far afield now, I think. So I liked it. But Thought it was a good it, movie. It was good. You should all go and get vaccinated so you can go see it in the theater because it's not yeah, playing we else. Yeah, we saw it. We saw it in the theater and everybody's fine. Yep. <laughs> I'm getting my booster in uh, uh, about a week and a half. I'm excited. All right. Well, if you guys have any thoughts there about No Time to Die, you should let us know on Twitter or Instagram. We are at 3drinksinpod. You can find us on Facebook. You can email us at 3drinksinpodcast at gmail.com. Check out the merch store at TeePublic. Make sure that you subscribe wherever you are listening. Try to leave ratings and reviews. That's it, right? That's it. All right. As always, please drink responsibly, and we will talk to you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye.
From my past return, I've been listening to learn that I've fallen for a lie. You were never on my side. Fool me once, fool me twice. Just no time to die.